Hi, I'm Molly Weinberg, and I'm a Philly-based lifestyle influencer who gives all the deets when it comes to wellness, travel, even entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Molly Weinberg Podcast, where I chat with experts ranging from gut health specialists to fashion icons and everything in between. I want to share all the specifics to help you live your best life. I'm not sparing any details. Yep, no questions are off limits. Every week, you will walk away from each episode feeling more motivated and more informed than before. Tune in weekly to the Molly Weinberg Podcast to never miss a beat. Because as a, as, a, as a founder, as a CEO specifically, you have to surround yourself with the right people that can teach you a little bit about a lot so that you can hire the right people to solve your problems. So That clip you just heard is from Yossi Levy. He is the founder and CEO of Get A Car. Yossi's main goal is to create the best car buying and ownership experience for consumers. Yossi grew up in the automotive industry, working at his father's dealership from the age of 14. While working full-time at Danny's Auto, Yossi also pursued his bachelor's degree in finance from Temple University, which is kind of crazy because that's also where I went to school, and I think we were there at the same time, yet we did not know one another. Anyway, he is a first-generation college student, so round of applause for that, and he graduated with a 4.0. Under Yossi's leadership, Danny's Auto grew from $3 million in sales to over $30 million over a three-and-a-half-year period without any outside capital, which is insane. In 2018, Yossi shifted his focus towards a new venture, online car buying. Yossi founded Get a Car in an effort to bring desperately needed change to the way people buy and own cars. Get a Car is a Philadelphia-based, direct-to-your-door online platform that enables users to trade, finance, and buy used cars. Get a Car has expanded beyond the Philadelphia region and currently serves the majority of the East Coast, ranging from New York to Virginia. The company has offices in both Philadelphia and Tel Aviv. Yossi has led three separate rounds of funding for Get a Car and has raised over $48 million of total equity. What I can say is that Yossi consistently challenges the status quo, just like his older sister, Elle, who was one of my best friends. Thanks to her, Yossi and I were really able to connect, and I'm so freaking glad we did. This entire episode is fascinating, which makes sense because, honestly, Yossi himself is so interesting. He's always asking questions and pushing the limit. So without further ado, let's get to it. Yossi, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for having me. I want to start with what actually inspired you to start the business of Get A Car. Sure. So Get A Car, I, I, I like to say, was the culmination of um, a lot of trial and error on, in the car business. I'm seeing firsthand what, what it was like for people coming to you know my store, our store, really my family's store, and the experience people had to go through for this super impactful you know, buying a car, right? Second largest purchase the average consumer makes in their lifetime. It's just a very shitty experience. I think it took me some time uh, from my teen years when I started in the car business all through college uh, to realize that, you know, I, I wasn't content with that and I wanted to build and do something better. And so, you know, as I learned a business, I grew, I grew a traditional dealership business here in Philly. Ultimately, I got to the point where I said, I'm going to build a better way to, to do this thing that we call buying a car, which again, is just this little sliver of someone's life, but it's an important one. You know, you may buy a car in one day, but you might own it for four, five, six years. Um, and it's obviously an expensive purchase. So that was really what gave me the drive. And I said, look, I want to create a way better 
experience of just a better way for people to buy and own a car. Definitely. What was that moment where you were like, okay, this is enough. I'm realizing how shitty of an experience it is to be going to a dealership and dealing with X, Y, Z. I'm going to start my own business. What was that for you? I was already running Danny's, right? So go, going back, right, my, my background. So grew up just, you know, helping my dad, you know, flip cars. Uh, sort of what I knew, but I was also had a lot of side hustles, like sold iPhones, like sold candy at school, like just anything I could get that was legal that I could get my hands on, built websites, apps. And um, for me, I was at, at the dealership and actually, let me take a step back. I was, already, I was as I mentioned, I was already running the business, but the, the, the tipping point that told, it got me to say that I have to build this and do better was actually I was sitting in the showroom one day and, you know, our business had really flourished three to 30 million in four and a half years, organic, no investors, profitable. Wow. And I, and I was watching, I was just looking, right. We do this thing where like, you know, in a dealership, you call it the floor, you look at the customers, you see what's going on. And I just realized that like, this just doesn't make sense anymore. I sat there and I said that, that it sort of just hit me that simply I had, I've had, I had thoughts before that, right. Let's not pretend like that was just like, this crazy epiphany, but I was just living it. And so at that point, I just, I stared at these customers sitting there slouching with the crossing their hands, their arms. And I'm like, we got to do better than this. So that was part of it. The second part of it was I was at dinner with a couple of buddies, um, actually for a friend's birthday, went back to their house and said, Hey, there has to be um, like, what is this better way that I can do this? Right. After I had, I saw this experience, I said, what is the better idea? And, you know, my friends together were sitting there just firing each other up and uh, ended up giving me, <clears throat> giving me the boost and drive needed in order to, you know, take the plunge and really put a profitable, healthy business on the line uh, for something much bigger and greater. And in hindsight, I think it's the best decision I ever, I ever decided to take. That's incredible. How did you go about funding? So funding is, funding is a fun one. Um, it was, first of all, I didn't even... Initially, I didn't even think about funding, as you can imagine. I was like, oh, let me just, you know, kind of bootstrap and figure it out. Very quickly, I realized that development is expensive, you know, software development, you want to build, you know, a good app, a good website, um, and just various other things. And quite frankly, in order to do anything impactful, you need money. Like, it's just like oxygen. I have two good friends that are, uh, you know, also, you know, have a very big successful startup, um, and they suggested venture capital. And I said, okay. I said, you know, I don't know what that means, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, so, you know, sort of got connected in that arena, uh, started, you know, meeting some investors, you know, telling them about my, my big plans. Uh, flew to one investor actually flew me out to LA. Um, you know, we met, it was, I'd never met with an investor. It was the first time, let alone in person in their office. These are like, you know, former banking executives and whatnot. And how and old were you was, at the time? <laughs> I 20, I was 24, 20, 25. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was, it was an excruciating experience, but you know, went Probably bit, nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah. I was sweating. I mean, six hours. It was, it was like, you know, it's crazy. I've raised three rounds of funding since then and nothing, nothing came close to how excruciating that experience was. Uh, but ultimately, you know, went through that, sat there for like an entire day, left, like not knowing what the hell we're going to do. Uh, went with my then girlfriend, Lee, who's now my wife, uh, to Universal Studios the next day and, you know, said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, we were offered $9 million. Now, you know, it was like, I never had raised a dollar. So to be offered $9 million up front was like, wow, absurd. 
you know, needless to say, like I was being asked to sell like almost 50% of my business. Um, so, you know, once the high sort of, you know, went away, I realized, wow, this is a terrible deal. And I ended up saying no to the deal, sort of, sort of negotiated it. We actually did sign a deal eventually, but that deal ended up breaking because we just couldn't come to common ground. And then um, I had another investor who's actually one of our investors today, uh, eVentures, uh, Jet Fine, who was just kind enough to follow up with me throughout this entire experience. And, you know, he was really, really, you know, wanted to get be part of Get A Car. And ultimately he flew, uh, he flew out to Philly. We met up and, you know, a couple of weeks later, we were funded with a $5 million check. So my point here being that it was not a straight line. It was very messy. We had a deal that broke, you know, a week or two before closing. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we sort of channeled our energy in the right direction. We had, you know, we were building the right connections um, and meeting the right people and just maintaining those relationships and it ended up, you know, coming to fruition when one deal fell through, another one, you know, actually made it. So for someone who wants to start a service-based startup, what costs should they know? What should they be expecting starting from ground zero? It's a loaded question. So I'll answer in pieces. First of all, I think like we're not a service only business, we're a service and product business. I'm actually personally not a fan of service only businesses, businesses just from like, it can, it can be very scalable. I just think that economics are a little bit weaker. I, I think you have to ask yourself like, you know, what do you want to do? Why do you want to do it? Right. This is something that I, I don't even think I did this to the extent that I should have done. Um, and I'm lucky that like I, I came from this world. So I'm so glad that, you know, ended up working for me. Right. If you don't actually have a good reason and have a lot to lose for just for the why you're doing something like the why behind it, you, you're simply not going to be able to, to do it because it's it's way too hard to to build a company to not be so, so, you know, into, into the grind. I'm not, and I'm not using the word passion because I, I think that that's way overused. Like you build passion over time as you, as you get good at something, right? You, that's how you build the passion for it. But initially you, you really have to have a good reason for even wanting to do it. Um, so I, I just think that, you know, have really ask yourself what's driving you, right? Are you just trying to get rich? Because that's not going to work. You're going to give up after, you know, a month, six months, a year, uh, because it's just, it's just way too hard, right? Like that's something that just comes with it. But it, you know, for me, again, looping back to my story, it was having experienced this industry for so many years, knowing that I could do it better. I just, I told myself, like, I just have more potential here. Like, I, I see an opportunity in front of my eyes. I felt like I had a secret sauce, right? Like, like, um, like Plankton's, like crab, or no, Plankton, Mr. Crab's Krabby Patty sauce. Like, I, I felt like I, I had that. <laughs> I felt like I had that. And so I said, like, I need, I, I can't not do something with this. It was at my fingertips. I knew something the world did it. Right. So that was my reason. Plus I put everything on the line for it. Right. I put an existing business on the line. So I, there's just, I couldn't give up. Um, mm. and, and I'm talking about the early days and needless to say today, right. That's, it's not even a thought like we're, we're running and gunning, but the point being that even in the early days when it's like, you're even more like fragile than you are today. Um, and I still consider us early. It's like, if you need to have something holding you to the business, right? Whether that's investing your real money, whether that's a friends and family round where people, your friends and family invest in you, but do you need to have some? So I would just say that, right? Like figure out your why. Why do you actually want to do this? Um, do you really want to do this? And then like, what's going what's, what's gonna to hold you to it? But also like, what, what do you know that the world doesn't? Or why do you think you can do something in, 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 this, in a special way? Yeah. So pretty much being able to solve a problem when creating a business is a must is what you're saying. Yeah. Being able to solve a, a problem in, you know, in, in a way that's not already being done, um, mm -hmm. you know, 
just exactly the same, right? You need to have your your spin to that, you know, to solution. And then, you know, from there, the market's massive, so. Totally. With funding, a lot of people have questions about what the differences are. So friends and family round is like pre-seed funding, correct? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, friends and family can obviously always invest in your company at any point in round, but I'm, I'm specifically re- referring to just like, you know, getting something off the ground, mm-hmm. um, you know, and yeah, getting friends and family investing in you in like your first round, call it pre-seed or whatever other nomenclature. I think that like we never had that type of round. We had our own real money and own real profitable business, you know, doing, I don't know, like a couple million a year in profit. So that was what we were putting on the line. But by the way, like there's a reason we got funded so quickly. You know, this is 2018. Our format of business called vertically integrated was not as hot and popular as it is today. Uh, meaning like, you know, we, we own our warehouse, we own our inventory, we're completely integrated. We're not just like a, a low touch marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so my point being is like, you know, it was very clear to investors, we were serious about this, right? Like I put an entire operating profitable business on the line that we owned hundred percent of. So that was, uh, you know, that, that showed conviction and it just showed just how serious we were about putting our money where our mouth is. I actually heard because of COVID, there were two fields, I guess you could say, of people investing. One was home improvements and two was cars because people wanted to be able to have the freedom to go as they wish. How did COVID or the pandemic affect Get A Car? I wouldn't say it changed anything. I would say it accelerated all the macro trends. Hmm. You know, we, we were, obviously we were here before covid uh, you know, we sort of saw what was going to happen in this industry, but like, again, COVID just accelerated everything. Um, you know, suddenly people realized that buying online is safer, it's easier, it's faster. Plus, like nowadays, it truly is just the smarter way. You have all these assurances that we provide, such as a seven-day return, a 365-day guarantee where you don't need to worry about repairs or maintenance on anything. Um, so, you know, we're able to pass on the, that value and savings to the consumer because we don't spend it on, you know, showrooms and capital expenditures and all these fancy things. You know, we built a better way it, from pretty much every aspect and angle. I think the number one sort of rebuttal or concern we get from people is like, oh, I don't want to commit to a car before I get to test drive it. Well, the reality is we really don't because when we deliver you a car, right, you buy a used car from us online, we deliver it to you, you have a test drive there, you have a seven day return. As I mentioned, you have all these guarantees. And so you truly get the best of both worlds. Um, and again, COVID has just brought that more into acceptance, uh, where before that it was a little bit more taboo. Today, you know, e-commerce online sales are growing like, like a weed. I mean, in every country, some you know, used car startup that's looking to do e-commerce retailing. Yeah, that actually brings me to another question. What is it like to break into this industry and is competition always making you work harder because you're not the only one doing this? Maybe you're the only one doing this at this level and like quality and service. Do you feel almost like a fire under your ass to constantly be better and stronger than who else is out there? The short answer is, yeah, look, everywhere there's, uh, you know, money to be made, there's going to be a lot of competition, right? Anywhere there's a market, there's going to be competition. You know, we have plenty of competition. There's 40,000 US dealers. There's like five or four, call it real big online auto retailers in the country, including us. Um, I think the key for us was like, the, our market is very fragmented, right? You have a lot of different players competing for a lot of small pieces of market share by percentage, but as a whole, there, there are a lot, right? So one, we call it like CarMax has 2% of our industry, CarMax, and they're like a $20 billion company. Uh, Carvana, who's a growth company, right? A tech enabled growth company. They have 
uh, like under a percent of our industry and there are like a $50 billion company. So the point being that like anything good has competition. I think for us, there's various ways where we differentiate from the competition, but, but one thing that's key to our brand, and we're actually going through a rebrand process right now because we want to highlight that more, is the fact that we truly came from, you know, within the community. We came from the, the small business world, almost like with the people, right? We were there on the front lines, working with people and seeing the pain points, seeing how we can make it better. And so that's very different from our competition who are, you know, primarily like Ivy League school grads um, or like big corporate executives, all power to them. And they built some spectacular businesses. But I think that the angle we've taken, it's sort of similar, you could say to like, if you think about food delivery, DoorDash, where like, you know, DoorDash, Tony, the founder CEO, like has this really, really interesting background. His mom owned a restaurant. Uh, he, like he, he again, he saw firsthand troubles and the issues, and he that's what he translated into his business. You know, Uber Eats didn't have that, Postmates didn't have that, Seamless, etc. You get the point. We feel we're sort of in the same vein where, you know, we really came from this community. We didn't have billions of dollars. You know, we're sort of a you know David versus Goliath, you can call it. And so I think there's a lot of power to that, right? We're at a point in in our nation's history where, you know, just conversations around inequality, the wealth gap are at all time highs. Um, you know, super evident over the last year. And what we've done is, you know, we really feel like we fit that theme of like being there for the small guy, being from the, within the community. And people like that. People resonate with that. People appeal to that. And, you know, there's little touches that we've put throughout the company. Um, like one thing that we've done is we actually don't want to be a low touch, no touch type of experience. We actually have a, you know, we call them a CSA, a customer service associate, who's there for you throughout the entire process. So you can buy your car online remotely, but you still have uh, some human interaction, some person aiding you if you want it. If you don't want it, great. But the point being is that like you, we believe that the human touch, the human element, that empathy is still really important, especially in a transaction like this. And so that's where we've really put our focus on as we continue scaling our business. That's really nice. I think the human element is a huge factor that a lot of industry, I should say a lot of businesses in this industry are lacking. Yep. You'll see, are you even a car person? <laughs> like, do you see a car, like a flashy car, like a Maserati driving by and you're like, damn, I wish no. I had that car. So that's so funny <laughs> you asked that because like, sometimes I'll interview people uh, for positions that get a car and they'll start the conversation. I am assuming to appeal, like, you know, I'm assuming, but to say like, Oh, like I, I've loved cars. And I always, I always right away kind of say, I actually, I actually don't, I, I, I really don't care about cars to me. Like, you know, I'm going to steal this one from, from Starbucks from Howard Schultz or from like Zappos. But like I view us as a customer service company and we just happen to sell cars. The, the car is just a widget. Right. Like ultimately, like we're here to make people happy, create a great experience, uh, just make a make a fun experience buying this, you know, one product out of you know hundreds or thousands of products that you may buy in a year. And so, no, I, I don't care about cars, like not interested in cars. Just it's just the metal that keeps this business operating. I don't even you know, I drive whatever, you know, they give me here like a demo, that's like so different cars. So that's that's sort of my life. I had a feeling. I really didn't know, but I was like, I gotta ask. That's funny. Why did you think that? I feel like I see you as like a very business oriented person. So you probably don't yeah. like, give a crap about like the trends or like the looks you care about, like the meat of, of the story. I, I, I give a crap about the trends you post on your stories. That's the trends <laughs> I care about. So let me know when, when there's a new taco place in town. That's the trends I care about. I will. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, okay. So to go back to investing and funding. So how much capital do you think is needed for starting? Like what does someone need to get started? So it depends what you're starting, right? And like, it depends what you're starting, what stage of business you're at. 
it's really tough to answer the question. You know, VC is definitely not the only route. Um, you know, it's the most expensive route, but you can also do things that, you know, you can get funded on, on things that no one else will fund, um, a traditional lender, right? So like in our case, we've raised $48 million of equity. Wow. We've also raised, yeah, we've, over three rounds, right? Not one round. We've also raised uh, like $15 million of debt uh, for, to finance our inventory and, and more now. And so, you know, the point being is like, you know, you should always look for the most cost efficient way to fund anything. All traditional businesses have, you know, like million, there are many, many ways to fund them um, in, in creative ways. I think where you want to resort to venture capital is if you truly have, an, you know, some idea that just doesn't fit into any specific box, right? You know, you can't get a traditional lender or, or whatnot to fund it. And then that's when you resort to risk capital. Makes sense. In your opinion, what makes a great entrepreneur? <laughs> a lot of things. Um, I, I think, but, but just to like list a few, right? I, I think about my experience myself. So, you know, number one, like resiliency, right? So like, like fall, you get up, you fall, you get up, like every single day, like you, you have to like getting slapped in the face. You almost have to be a masochist. Um, so I think resiliency is just, you know, super, super important. I think someone that has the ability to be an independent thinker, right? So, you know, it's, it's good to listen to, you know, the crowd and everyone, but ultimately come to a conclusion yourself um, and, you know, really have conviction in your decision uh, because ultimately anything that's consensus is going to be mediocre, right? Like if, if you, if you do the idea, that's the average of the 10 people you're going to ask, you're going to do something very mediocre because most people are not independent thinkers and are not going to take that risk. Uh, which by the way is another one, right? You have to be willing to take risk. I laugh with my team. Like I, I, I've had a personal guarantee on certain aspects of our business up until like three weeks ago, right? We're three years in business today, you know, personal guarantee, meaning my own personal life on the line. So that's obviously a scary part as well. But again, if you have enough conviction, you know, you get through it. And, and I did in my case, I, I think those are just, you know, a, a few things to list. It's, it's a never ending game of just like learning. Like I, I like to say, like, I just have an insatiable curiosity. Like I'm, I can't possibly like, you know, fulfill my curiosity. I'm always reading, always learning, like seeking to understand. So, you know, I think those are just a few things that are really, really important. And just, it's crazy how like you read about them, they're trite, they're cliche, but then it's like, you put them in practice. It's like, oh, wow. Like it's so true. Every, every one of those things. So what are you reading now? And do you recommend it? I don't really read books. Um, I, I prefer like short form, like, you know, articles, some podcasts, just stuff where you can get like quick tidbits of information. So I, I just like learning in a different way that like, in, as opposed to reading one long book, I like to, you know, really kind of diversify what I'm, the information I'm, you know, consuming across a lot of different channels and, and people, of course, love asking questions to an annoying degree sometimes. I'm the same way too. Here we are. I love asking questions. What is the culture like at Get a Car? What's like you walk in and what's the vibe? The vibe. So the vibe is good. What we do. So vibes we actually, are good. <laughs> vibes are good, right? I mean, look, like our core values are um, just to be like very simplistic about them, like transparency, uh, empathy, curiosity, and tenacity. We have like our cool slogans around them and whatnot. But but basically, that's as a company what we value, um, and we really try to put put it forth. Now, you know, there's many ways we live our culture, our, our values, and you know, ingrain into our culture. We do that by hiring on that, firing on that. The way we build products for the customer are based on our values. The way, you know, we encourage our team to interact. I mean, really what we look for in a person, aside from competency, aptitudes, and principles, we look for, are they a core value fit for our company? Um, so we're really building a company that where, you know, we're doing something in an industry that's very antiquated, you know, something that's different, um, you know, something that's, you know, up until very recently, 
I could even argue today, but you know, online car buying in general wasn't very consensus. It was like weird. Uh, now COVID again changed some things, and so you know, we really try to keep a very, very visionary culture where people want to try things, take take risks, not be afraid to you know, innovate within the company, for, you know, and do things for the customer that is completely you know not expected, um, and just empower empower the team constantly, right? To keep trying things like that. So it's a constant learning thing. Culture is a living, breathing organism within any company. I'm sure any leader you ask will say that. Um, and it's definitely been like a, you know, a learning experience for me. Uh, you know, today we're about 160 people or 150 people in the company. Um, and, you know, the culture continues to innovate, change, grow. So it's been very, very, very interesting seeing how that all plays out throughout our, you know, short lifespan in mean, almost three years today. I was just going to say, holy crap, three years and 150 employees. You guys, that's so impressive. Congratulations. No, I appreciate it. I think, I think it's funny. Like, you know, when we think about like team size, it, it's funny how like the world equates like, you know, like labor or like just people, right. Manual labor, as we call it, like with, uh, with size and scale. And the reality is it's like, it's, it's so, so different. Like we're always you're always thinking about like, you know, how can we empower the people we have on board so that, you know, you, you can really maximize everyone's efforts um, and, and grow even faster, right? Like onto one person, 150 might sound impressive today. And, for, and then to me, I'm like, oh, well, why are we not at 300 already? Like we should be, you know, we should be even further along already. You have big so, aspirations. Yeah. I mean, you know, so it's, it's a never ending, it's a never ending thing, right? Always trying to do bigger, better and improve. Definitely. For hiring, I'm curious, do you believe the thought of hiring out when you don't know how to do something or are you the type of person who you want to be able to master it and then you're good to delegate? Mm -hmm. So you definitely can't grow a company with the latter. <laughs> if I had to master every single thing that you know we do at a company today, we'd be like three people maybe because <laughs> um, I'm not a master at any anything that we do today and it, that's not my role um, even that I'm learning on my role but my point here being that like I think as a this is actually an important one right because as a, as a as a founder as a CEO specifically you have to surround yourself with the right people that can teach you a little bit about a lot so that you can hire the right people to solve your problems so right I'm constantly surrounding myself with people that are you know, especially at my scale, subject matter experts in their fields. Uh, I'm still, you know, Swiss Army knives is, as you're smaller, I'm still hiring some Swiss Army knives in certain areas, but also subject matter experts. But the point being that you need to constantly hire for your weaknesses, uh, especially when you don't have a team built out. And uh, what I do is I, I actually have brought on a lot of advisors uh, to my company. So just, you know, people that are just board advisors that, you know, I'll, I'll call them um, you know, if I need to hire a head of marketing, a head of whatever operations, a head of finance, a head of HR, any role pretty much. Right. So that'll teach me, you know, they'll teach me a little bit, you know, about like what I should look for, the questions I should ask. And I, I can tell you after every single hiring process I've done, um, I've, I felt like I've learned so much about that role, what success looks like, right. The key performance indicators of a good, you know, a good person in that role. Um, so it's, it definitely teaches you a lot, but I would ultimately say, as soon as you identify, right, the main thing is to identify what is your problem that needs to be solved. And then from there, you know, you can really ask yourself, okay, what type of, you know, profile is going to fit to solve this problem. And of course, get some other subject matter experts in your network. Um, I actually think there's a Philly company right now. I forget their name that, that essentially does this for you where like, if I want to hire, you know, someone to run 
I don't know, social media, right? I'm using it as an example. It's typically, I think, for more executive positions, but you, this company will actually vet the candidate for you on like a, you know, on the skill level. So it's a really, really cool, cool idea, but that's ultimately the way I would approach it. I firmly believe that it's best to not always be the one talking in the room and like furthermore, not be the smartest in the room because you're always able to learn and grow if you keep your mouth shut and you're listening. So it's cool that you kind of have a similar mentality as far as hiring. Yep. Going back to how you said you need to be able to pick yourself up when you're down over and over and over. If you had to guess, how many failures have you had thus far? <laughs> um, I think it depends what your definition of failure is, right? One of my friends actually likes to say like, you either win or you learn. Um, so I like that line. Mm -hmm. But I, I think, you know, every single day things, I'll, I'll just define failure as things that don't go your way. Right. Every single day that happens, every single moment, like literally, like it's rare when things do go exactly your way. So I think the key is like being very disciplined and regimented and saying, okay, like, why did this not go my way? Like, how can I make this go my way? Like, what is the core issue behind it? What did I do wrong? Right. Figuring, figuring that out. And I think that's why I get so excited when I, people give me feedback or, you know, if I ask questions and I learn something, because it means that, you know, now I can make something better. Um, I can make it go my way. Uh, but that's like, if you're growing anything, like things are just not going to go your way because you're entering uncharted territory, like you're going to make mistakes. And so that's just part of the, it's, 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 I think it's having no respect for your mistakes. Right. And, and what I mean by that is like, once you get to a mistake or something, it's, it's not about like dwelling on it or think like, it's great. You, you can think about it, but like, like moving on. Okay. Like, why did I make that mistake? How do I move on? How can I fix it? So it doesn't happen again. Um, so being like disgustingly disciplined about that to the point mm -hmm. where it's like, it's, it, it's like, you're almost like a mechanical about it constantly. Like, and then, you know, that just helps you improve and move even faster as you're growing the company. Yeah. Speaking of discipline, how were you when you were transitioning from the family business of having an in-person dealership to creating get a car? Were you, did you even have a social life? Like, were you working beyond nine to five hours and what was work life at the dealership? Were you, were you working nine to five and then you transitioned to like pretty much startup life where it's like, I'm working around the clock. Don't disturb. <laughs> um, so surprisingly, no, like I, I work like my, my hours, which is like almost all the time, but it's not, it's not that I need to work all the time. And it's, it's not even good. It's not even productive. Right. But like, you know, if I'm in bed, like, I don't know, 11 and I have something to do, I'll just pull out my laptop and start, you know, hammering out some emails, whatever, whatever I need to do. My point being that, you know, I never grew up in an environment where it was like nine to five. So I, I don't, I don't even know what that is. Like I, I, I always had an ownership mentality in anything I did. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, that's, that's the way I grew up. But I think that when it comes to discipline, like there's this saying that I really like, which is just like, you know, entrepreneurs or whoever like are very lazy, right? I, I really do believe that I fit that profile because in, what it really means is that when you have to do something, right, you look for a way to delegate it or to make it easier. And so that's sort of the thing, right? You have to get like very quickly good at delegating. I mean, today there's so many ways to delegate. Like even as a solo entrepreneur, you're one person doing something. Like you can delegate a personal assistant to like Asia for like dollars or like for seriously for really cheap to save you having to coordinate emails. I mean, you can do, you know, Calendly. My point is there's so many tools on the market that can get you leverage as an entrepreneur, right? The, the number one thing you're most constrained on is your time, your bandwidth. And if you can get leverage by, you know, outsourcing to all these great tools out there in the world, um, it just helps you get more, become more productive. And, um, you know, you're able to really focus on the things that matter most. How do you manage your time then? 
you're saying you might be laying in bed 11 o'clock at night answering an email. Do you have boundaries that you set that you like to follow or you are go with the flow? So I definitely have boundaries. Um, and I think what I do is like, I, aside for, you know, like weekday meetings, which is, you know, which are, are scheduled and, and whatnot, um, I really just work when I want to work right now. What that means, right? Like, let me put a big preface on that. Like I'm, I'm running a company that I've, I, I can get a call out of nowhere and, you know, I'll be on the call for an hour and handling something. If I want to open my laptop at 11, it's because I want to do it. I just feel like doing it right now because I genuinely just want to want to get something done. Um, but then maybe I'll disconnect for all of Saturday and then pick back up on Sunday or maybe not. My point being that, uh, you know, today my, my time is, is very, very much scheduled. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a slave to my calendar. I like to keep a lot of openings for just, you know, strategizing and just thinking time, which I think is very healthy and important. Um, but other, otherwise, I'm at a point in the company where like, I, I'm very conscious of my time. Um, you know, I like to go into meetings with clear agendas, you know, just clear objectives, right? Just make the best use of my time, really focus on transactional meetings. And it's, it's super important, you know, to me as the leader of the company, the way I view things is, right? Like I'm the resource driving this company forward from the top. If I'm not fully focused on the right things that are impactful to us growing the business, you know, hitting our objectives and, you know, ultimately um, just the targets we've set out to our investors and board, then I'm doing a disservice to the entire company. And so it's super, super important for me to be very, very conscious of my time where I spend every single minute. I, I've literally like set like a mental, call it hourly rate for myself where like, you know, there's things where I just won't do. Um, it doesn't matter if I can do it. Maybe I do have the time to do it at the moment, but there's certain things that I just refuse to do. Of course, I still get them done. Like that's the whole point of building the proper, uh, you know, just proper delegation around yourself. But then it allows me to stay very focused on, you know, what's most impactful, most important. And then I follow that up with doing like postmortems, meaning I'll look at my calendar from the past week. I'll say, okay, what did I did I spend too much time on one thing that I did not spend enough time on another thing, right? Like last week, I came to the conclusion that with one of my executives, I'm not spending enough time, right? So this week, I'm fixing that moving forward. Um, so it's, it's just thing like that, like, you know, continue, continuously iterating on the way you're, you're operating and also learning from other, you know, great people that work really well and just best practices so you can be more efficient and effective. I think that entire thing is so mature that you even have in motion, these reflection times where you're like, you know yourself so well, where you're not going to waste time and you want to make sure that all of your time moving forward is, is, is as efficient as possible. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it comes back to something that I always say, like to, to my direct team, a company grows exponentially, right? But people typically grow linearly. You constantly, we, we need as a team, and like to be from going from a $10 million to a $20 million to a hundred to a 200 to a billion to a two, whatever, $20 billion company, you're, 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 it's a different stages in company. And I always say that we constantly need to requalify ourselves for our roles, right? I am not the same CEO as I was a year ago, a year and a half ago, two years ago, and same as the founder I was three years ago, right? I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty and hungry to continue learning. Um, because I, I know that I, I need to be the best person to run this company, to be in my position, as does the rest of our team. And so continuing to requalify yourself for that role means you're leveling up, means you're getting better, you're, you're learning. And, you know, and I know confidently that I'm the best person to, to operate in this role, right? And I, and I also say this to my team, I say, hey, if I ever somehow got to the position where that wasn't me, I wasn't the best person for this role, I would gladly step down. Because why would I do a disservice to 150 families that work here 
that you know make their living here that see a future in this company when there's someone who's not the best for the role in a position right um and so that helps keep things very very objective and just like a binary when you're making decisions and knowing that you need to continuously be pushing pushing the envelope and, and getting better as a, as people and professionals i think that's a fantastic mindset honestly do you see long-term get a car going public uh, <laughs> this question, right? I, I think there's a, you know, going public is a financing event, obviously, right? And I think there's a lot of ways which, you know, in the future, we'll be able to finance ourselves. Um, that's definitely one option, uh, which we're, you know, we'll, we'll have that optionality and it's something we'll consider. Um, you know, the private markets have been really great to us. We've had, you know, we have some great investors backing us that really believe in the vision that are super supportive. Um, I, I like the fact that in the private markets, you get to pick your cap table. You get to pick who's, you know, who puts money, who buys your stock in the public markets. You really don't. Um, so I like that. I guess with one exception, maybe like a SPAC, which is, you know, the new form of a uh, way of going public uh, where you sort of get to pick your cap table in a way. But yeah, I think, you know, we're always keeping our options open when it comes to financing the company and the growth. We have, you know, various routes we're considering. Um, and I guess it's going to depend on the times, you know, when we're prepared for, you know, additional funding at some point later in the company's growth, uh, what's just the best, you know, most cost efficient route and, and, you know, best thing for us at the time. In your opinion, what is the next thing when it comes to on-demand car buying? So that's a, it's a good one. I think that, you know, the route we're heading in is all about the ownership, right? So I think the first, the first frontier here was like buying cars. The next frontier is going to be like, what, what happens next? Um, and so, there, you know, we have a few really cool things up our sleeve that are slated for the next 12 months. Um, you know, some, some really cool investments in the ownership experience for customers. Um, but I think that, I, I think that that's where our, our industry is headed. Like, I think that that's just simply the next frontier um, and, and, you know, when you look at all of the players in the market, it won't be just like, Hey, come buy a car from us or come buy a car online. Um, but rather it, it'll be similar to the path we're headed in, which is like, Hey, buy a car online. Great. Right. Get it all, you know, simply in minutes and all that. But by the way, now that you're an owner of this company, you know, you have, you know, this perk, that perk, you know, we save you that time. We make this more convenient. Um, and I, and I just think that, you know, that's where the, the industry is going to continue to head. Um, especially given the fact that just the buying space, the car, online car buying space is really heating up with a lot more competition and, you know, different players are looking to strengthen the customer experience, but also differentiate themselves. Customer wise, who is get a car actually for and what areas can the cars be purchased? Yep. From? So, so geographically we're delivering from New York uh, to Virginia, to DC and, and expanding to Virginia as well. Uh, so that's, you know, really that focus on that Eastern seaboard where we're, we're still, you know, we're a fast growing player and, you know, we feel like it's, we have still so much more to conquer. Um, on your first question, who's it for? So this is a very interesting one because we're going through a rebrand process right now. I think one of the, one of the issues we had in our company was um, actually knowing specifically uh, very clearly who we're for. One of our uh, advisors is a CMO of a Fortune you know, 500 company. Um, you know, very successful cult brand. Actually, I'll, I'll name drop him, right? His, his name is Jay Livingston. Um, he's a CMO of Shake Shack. What he like was, was telling me, like we were walking through like how much Shake Shack um, knows about their customers. Just it's, you know, insane, right? But, but at, at that scale, right? You, that's, that's how it should be, right? And even not at that scale, even before that scale, like knowing, you know, like your ideal customer, you know, goes to the gym at 6 p.m., shops at these stores, like eats these food, like has a plant in their house, literally like crazy stuff like that. 
for for us, you know, we're, we're still in that process of like, you know, figuring out like what is the demo and the psychographic of our core, core customer, right? We know a few things. We know our customers skew younger relative to our competitors. We know that, you know, we we definitely over-index on, on women who come to us to buy cars. We know that, you know, if you, if you took a cross section of our inventory, we're, you know, right in average pricing, but a little bit more value, right? Which is a good thing. We deliver more value to our customers. And we also know that we're not the cheapest and we're not the most expensive, right? We're a reasonably priced fair uh, retailer. What our next job now is to figure out is specifically what is that psychographic and demographic of our customer? Uh, more, more specifically than just, you know, you know over index on women, um, and maybe, you know, call it like, you know, mid to late millennials. Um, so that's, that's a fun project. Hopefully by next time uh, we speak, I'll, I'll have that details for you and tell you this person drives on the highway at 5 p.m. and, and takes phone calls after 9.30 p.m. That's so funny. When Dan and I were looking for cars, we were checking out all the different platforms and services that offer, you know, car buying. And I think something that's really cool to get a car offers is such straightforward financing I don't know if that was your idea or you were able to collaborate with execs on your team, but the fact that financing is not only available, but so clear, there's no games. I think that's like a huge touch point for get a car and I'm very impressed by it. Yeah. Financing is, I mean, it's a huge part of buying a car, right? Like 95% of our customers finance with us. So it's an insane number. And, um, you know, as you can imagine, very, really important for people to know they're getting the best deal, the best rate. And I think what we pride ourselves on is the fact that you know, we pass on just like, we'll actually take your info, we'll shop it out for you, we'll do that service, and then we'll get you the best rate possible. And so, you know, you can rest assured that, you know, we've actually worked with, you know, we work with various lenders to make sure we get you the best, best deal possible. Um, and ultimately we pass that on to you and, you know, you're, you're home free. So it's definitely a really important part of the car buying process. Hmm. What is a non-negotiable for you, both in work life and your personal life? So for me, work life, I need to set boundaries. Otherwise I feel like I'm working around the clock and it's hard for me to like shut down, even though I love what I do so much. And honestly, that kind of goes work life and personal life, but you get what I'm saying. What would be yours for, for both? I have too many to list. <laughs> now, look, I, I'm, I, I'm also really big on boundaries, right? And maybe not necessarily time, but in certain aspects, but, you know, in general, like I said, I, I'm just very stingy of my time and, you know, I keep things very, very regimented um, so that I know, you know, my focus is being channeled the, the right way. I, I guess one of, one of the things that's really important for me is maintaining some time to, you know, have having some time to just like think clearly like, I, I think there's this like idea that, you know, you have a calendar, you have all these slots, you need to fill these slots with meetings and whatnot. And I just really don't believe in that. I actually set like every day, like at 12 o'clock, I'll set like a, you know, like I call it a power time or whatever, uh, but just an hour from 12 to one where I don't have nothing scheduled for that hour every single day. Right. I do this. Um, now it doesn't mean that I don't end up taking a meeting at that time, but my point is like, I, I, I reserve that time for free thinking, just ad hoc work you know, whatever, a meeting that may come through. Um, so I, I think, you know, time management is insanely important. Um, and I just think back to the days, you know, like even four or five years ago, like I was so much worse at it than I am today. And I'm still getting better every single day. But I think that any, if, if you want to accomplish anything in life, you, you're going to need to manage your time and be disciplined and, and you're going to let some people down along the way. 
Um, but that's ultimately what's going to happen. So I think that's a big one for me as well. Have you always been like this? What were you like in college when it came to homework versus social life? No, I, I haven't always been like this at all, actually. I, I think it's just virtue of, you know, like I said, being the best I am at my role. That's, you see, the thing that I didn't know about this role before I, before I, you know, became CEO and actually started hiring an executive team is just what like, and, and, and no one does, right? No one has been like, unless you've been a CEO before, right? But like, I didn't know like what it, what it meant, like what, what, what would I actually be doing, right? All I knew was I wanted to solve a problem. Like, I didn't know like how I was going to do that. Uh, and so like thinking back five years ago, right? I would, you know, be buying cars, you know, managing our marketing, hands-on, you know, maybe go to the shop one day, like our service facility, maybe sell cars another day, maybe do some finance. Another, like I was all over the, just, you know, generalist doing whatever needed to be done. And like today, my role is just so different, right? If I am not focused on nurturing our team, recruiting top talent for our team, making sure we have cash in the bank so we can keep growing and actually setting the vision and pushing that through the company, then I'm probably not doing what I should be doing, right? Anything besides those four things is stuff that I should be delegating. Um, arguably in a, at later stages of the company, even financing, right? But not at this stage of the company. So my point being that, no, like it's, I was every single, you know, every year my role changes more and more, uh, less, less now in the sense that, you know, I am more or less focused on what I should be focused, but you know, I am always getting better evolving and it's just so, so different from what it used to be. Um, and again, I'm lucky that I actually like doing what I'm doing because I can't imagine someone that kind of gets into this, get, gets into this world. And then, you know, I guess if you realize you don't like it and, you know, you probably give up relatively quickly because it's just not fun and it's really hard. Um, so that's something that never goes away. It only gets harder, even though you think it gets easier, it doesn't get easier. That's fair. What is one product that has bettered your life that you recommend to family and friends? Come on, this is an easy one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come on. No. Um, canopy, of course. <laughs> oh my gosh. I got, that's amazing. I need my, I need my humidifier, you know, yes. so it's the, it's the Molly Weinberg special, the humidifier <laughs> that you posted on your story and I ordered right away. No, but I love this thing. Like it's definitely makes your sleep a lot better. So huge plug to canopy. That thing's been a game changer. Um, so highly, highly recommended. Um, love that product. That's awesome. <laughs> Got to do a collab, I guess, with Get a Car, Canopy, the Molly Weinberg brand. Yeah, I'll tell you what though. Like, we'll we'll put them in our we'll put them in the trunks when we give uh, customer when customers buy the car. We'll throw a canopy in the trunk. So <laughs> there you go. I hope Canopy's listening to this one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I would imagine this title, this job, this venture is very demanding. Do you feel like you have a really good support system around you? Absolutely. Just like the nature of building something and being an entrepreneur, like it's sort of, you suck people around you, right? Like I work with my mom, my dad, like my, my siblings, you know, my, everyone around you suddenly like gets, becomes part of your life um, in one way or another. Again, they don't all work for get a car, but my point is like something in my life, some, some management of something is they're involved. But I think that like support system is massively underrated. Like if you don't have a good support system, you're, you're toast, especially me, like, you know, solo founder, um, like I don't have a co-founder, so I don't have someone to vent to. So I definitely have to give massive props to Lee, my wife. She takes, you know, all the heat. She's that person that, you know, at night I'm, I have thoughts in my head. I consult with her super high EQ. Uh, so she really under, knows how to deal with like, you know, like just, you know, humans. And she can, she can kind of predict how people react to certain things. So just, you know, having that at home has been, um, you know, just massive, you know, competitive advantage. I, I, 
you know, when, when I started to get a car, so stressful because I had you know, just no idea what the hell was going on. Arguably still don't. No, I'm just kidding. But I got this like weird like patch here. This was like two and a half years ago. Like and it was really like didn't go away. Um, I just remember that time period. And it was like, she was like, you know, it's just rock star, like, you know, behind me, like making sure like cheering me up till today. Um, you know, and, and the crazy part about, you know, doing this stuff is like, it affects your, you know, there isn't such thing as personal or work life. It's all one. So, you know, if I have a bad day at work or a bad day that like, I'm going to, I'm going to be pissed at home. And so knowing how to deal with that roller coaster of emotions um, is, uh, is, is very, very difficult. You know, she's no, number one supporter and uh, just a huge, huge, huge uh, sidekick. Oh, she is so beautiful inside and out. And she has her own little small biz going on. Which... She does. She does. Which, you know, Browby Salon at uh, Billy Penn Studios in Philly. So, you know, number one brow artist in the city. Gotta uh, plug in... her. Of course. <laughs> Can I actually tell you a really funny story? Yeah. I went to her and I'm like, Lee, what do I need? And she's like, I don't know. Like, you really don't need much. Like, I don't want to be too salesy. Like, I like to just tell the person <laughs> like what they actually need. I'm like, okay, Lee, like cut the BS. Like, what do I need? Like, I need some help. And she's like, you know what? Like, I don't want to do a lash lift. I want to do a lash tint because your lashes are blonde, but they're long enough that they're like, good. I'm like, okay, great. Maybe you already heard the story from her. It's so embarrassing. So I'm laying in the chair and she's like, okay, close your eyes. I'm going to put the paint on and I'm like, or whatever it's called, the tint. I'm like, okay. And like, she's asking me so many questions and like, I'm really vibing with her talking about all this good stuff. And I get like, so into the conversation that I open my eyes to start continuing talking and all the paint is in my eyes. I'm crying. She is running around collecting all the water and tissues. And she's like, no, 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 no. I should have told you. So she probably thinks I'm a legitimate idiot, but God I can't wait to go back after maternity leave. Oh my God. That's not, I didn't know that story. That's hilarious. It was um, so funny. And, <laughs> and so scary. Awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, she's, uh, she's high integrity. So I'm sure, you know, she wasn't trying to be salesy and that's awesome. You know, but that's, you're one of a kind Molly, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she thinks that too. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, can you pimp yourself out? Let us know where to follow you personally, if you'd like, or if you want to keep it, just get a car. That's fine too. Um, Instagram website, anything that you think is relevant. Yeah, of course. So Twitter, Twitter is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to grow that very, very low follower count, but share some cool insights on there. Also, if you just want to see behind the scenes on get a car, um, which just behind the scenes of growing a business, um, I'm more sharing more and more info on there. So Yossi XCIII on Twitter. Um, I believe that's my handle, but Yossi Levy anyways, you'll find me there. Um, and then also IG, um, same handle Yossi XCIII. That's more, uh, you know, personal also, also post cool stuff and, uh, you know, just different events and occurrences. So follow me there as well. Awesome. And get a cars, get a car, it's get a car everywhere. So Sweet. anywhere you go. Yep. And of course I always repost get a car stuff. So, you know, through me, you'll get linked to the get Awesome. Oh, I like that. The get Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Thank you so, so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. And I hope all the listeners found as much value as I did. Great, Molly. Appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share with your friends, family, loved ones, really anyone who you think would gain value from this episode. And if you're feeling up for it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It means so, so much. <laughs>